Welcome to this episode of On The Move, a podcast about missions, international ministry, and how God is transforming lives around the world. I'm your host, Leanne White, and this week I'm excited to be joined by Dennis Wadley, the International Director of Bridges of Hope International. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, thanks, Leanne. Great to be with you. So I want to start by talking about your life in 2002 and the things that led you and your wife, Susan, to found Bridges of Hope. It all kind of started with Time Magazine. Okay. Yeah, an issue of Time Magazine on the AIDS pandemic. And after we had read that, we just couldn't walk away without doing something. And I was pastoring a church in Santa Barbara, California. We put together a team actually in 2001 and actually left for South Africa on September 10th, 2001, which put us in Atlanta boarding our flight when um, 9-11 took place. And so we got stuck in Atlanta, spent a couple days there on the 13th. Susan got up and flipped on the TV and it said some airports were going to open and the Atlanta airport ended up being one of them for a few hours. And so nine of us crammed into an SUV and got ourselves down there and got searched multiple times, <laughs> finally, <laughs> you know, made it onto the plane and then sat on the runway for about an hour, which was good because I was able to contact some people and tell them, hey, we're actually going to go. Ends up it was the first plane that left the United States after 9-11. It was the South African Airways flight. So we got over there, and our hope was that we could do something that would be helpful with the huge AIDS pandemic. But AIDS wasn't on anyone's top five list. When we got there, everyone was just so overwhelmed with the poverty. It was nine, well, let's say at that point, seven years after the end of apartheid. You know, the issue of orphans, the issue of unemployment, they were, you know, just in these slums that we were in with millions of people. It was just an overwhelmed community. And we came back just kind of lost on how to be helpful in that. And what that would look like, and especially, you know, people were dying every day uh, because of the pandemic, but it wasn't on anyone's list. So we ended up coming back, just asking everybody we could find, you know, what would you do in a situation like this? Uh, in a millions of pe- person slum that, you know, there's just so many issues upon issues upon issues and ended up meeting uh, a missionary uh, who said, well, you know, it's funny, we we don't work in that kind of a setting, we're in a rural setting, but we heard about this thing called community health evangelism, and it sounds like it's working, and and there's this lady, this Kenyan doctor in the slums of Ethiopia um, named Florence Moindi, and, you know, it's working in that urban setting as well, which we've never heard of a uh, setting like that. And so anyway, I don't know how we're ever going to find this Kenyan doctor working in the slums of Addis, but fast forward a couple months, we had a couple missionaries from Tanzania over and we asked them the same question. And they said, oh, you know, we work in a rural area. We don't really know. But they said, it's weird you would ask that because somebody just moved in next door to us in Pasadena to take a class at Fuller. And then they said, she's a Kenyan doctor. And my wife said, is her name Florence? And they said, how do you know that? And we said, our God is a very big God. And the next thing you know, Florence and Festus are sitting in our living room in Santa Barbara teaching us about community health evangelism. And we went through a week-long training, felt like we had the tools. We kept asking, well, how does this work in an urban setting? Both the trainers said, we don't know. We were both out of rural <laughs> settings, but, you know, just go give it a shot. And we did. And so we moved our family over in 2003 in February. So it's 21 and a half years ago. 
and um, just started trying to implement the things that we'd learned about that model of development. And the, you know, the challenges that followed were many, um, but it's what kind of launched us into this whole adventure. That's so exciting. I, that's really cool. So talk a little bit about what your ministry looked like then, back in when you first got there in 2003, when you moved your family to South Africa. And then maybe you could even, you know, fast forward and talk about what it looks like now. But, but what were some of the things that you were doing in South Africa when you first uh, moved? Uh, so we kind of decided we would sort of do a hybrid sort of thing using the Che principles, but we figured in an urban setting, it might look really different. And so we ended up launching some micro businesses. We, we used the principle of what is the greatest felt need and the greatest felt need by far was unemployment. And so we helped them launch a few different micro businesses. Susan was leading a, a group that was doing a beading project and creating jewelry and things, things that we've sold at churches you've been a part of. Can I just interject to say that I still have pieces of that jewelry in my jewelry box <laughs> yeah. here um, from purchasing jewelry that your your team has sold at churches that I've been a part <laughs> <Yeah>. of. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. Yeah, we had another that was sort of like a secondhand store type thing. We had a, a number of different businesses. And then we tried doing different kinds of trainings, but we kept going after felt needs. So our main thing was, you know, what does this community feel its greatest need is and how do we help them meet it? And so we kind of stumbled along, you know, for the first six months through a crazy set of circumstances. We ended up getting robbed at gunpoint in the community mm. with our kids, with my mother-in-law, her first visit to South Africa and her first day in the community. And so that was a big game changer for us because um, the community leaders deemed it wasn't safe for us to return for a period of time after that. And then we had a period of time that only one of us would go in at a time because we didn't want to orphan our own children. So the next six months were very kind of, there's a lot of people trying to figure out how this is going to work, how to empower people without being physically present in the community, having to do it outside the community. Uh, but at the end of all that, we ended up taking a trip to Ethiopia for the All Africa Community Health Evangelism CHE Conference. Ended up seeing Florence and Festus ministry firsthand and realized, hey, we can just do this. We just need to go back and use this model of development and go after it the way that, you know, if you would if you were a rural community. And we did. And the next year, things really took off. So, you know, we still were doing the projects and things that were meeting the felt needs, but the model of community health evangelism in an urban setting, we really got to see that kind of take root and take off in much more of a pure way in our second year there. So that's when, you know, we began to focus much more on that. And, and then that started spawning other ministries as a result of that as well. So community health evangelism, or CHE, is a fantastic model that really approaches development over relief. So what were some of the areas that you were able to pursue development as opposed to just the, I mean, when you say felt needs, it kind of is almost like a, that's almost more of the relief, you know, kind of the like, oh, we have this problem and we want to solve the solution right now. But CHE, or community health evangelism, has the long game in mind. So what were some of the things that you were able to implement? So some of those needs that they had, one was the issue of orphans. And so we had a, a team that was coming over. Um, and the idea of Bridges of Hope, our, our vision was it was a two-way bridge. It was 
connecting mm-hmm. believers on other parts of the world with the believers in South Africa and really trying to create international biblical community. So that ended up, you know, being one of our key strategies from the beginning. So we had a group that was coming over that wanted to work with orphans. So we had an orphan retreat because our community health evangelists had gone around and found all these kids in the community that were orphaned and we had never met them until this retreat. And this team shows up from a church called Ocean Hills in Santa Barbara and they helped pull off this amazing retreat for these kids, you know, and I think the age range was like five to 17 or 18. And these kids ended up being so precious. And at the end of this week, they're crying. They're like, oh my gosh, we don't even want to go back into our community. We have this new community with all these people who care about us and all these other kids who are in the same place in life. And, and so out of that, we said, well, hey, would you want to meet weekly? And we started what became the, they call it the OBC group, the Orphans and Vulnerable Children group. And that's been going on for 21 years. So that, uh, 19, 19 years since, yeah, it was about the end of the first year that that took off. The after school program grew kind of in a similar way. It was a retreat that was coming over. Um, we were talking about trying to do abstinence training, and, and our leader said, if you're going to do abstinence training in South Africa, what age are you thinking? And we said, well, we thought, you know, teenagers or young adults. And they said, no, younger. And we said, well, how old? 16. They said, younger. We said, like, 14? And, they, and we said, what age? And they said, you need to start at six and seven. They said, these kids have nothing to do with their lives, no vision for their lives. They see people in the shacks having sex or whatever, and they start with sexual experimentation. They said, if you want to really do something about abstinence, it needs to be with primary school kids. And so we said, all right, after school program, let's, you know, let's do this program. And we said, what are the things that would help these kids have a vision for their life? And they said, well, they need to know how to use a computer, you know, and so computer training, they need drama skills. Uh, they need English skills. You know, they need to have uh, biblical training that's you know, giving them this vision of, of a hopeful life. And so that's how the after-school program started. And now, you know, they're in multiple schools all around the area. Um, they're in multiple communities all throughout the area with the orphan group. And then later, the Bridges Youth started, and that was with teenagers. So we, for eight years, Bridges ran an orphan boarding high school. And we had a lot of great success stories, but we also realized through the process of those eight years that where Bridges, our sweet spot, where we function best is in the community. And what God's really called us to is being in the community. In that model, we were pulling kids out of the community into the school. And we really, both boards, on our, our U.S. board and our South African board really felt we need to put these kids back in the community and minister with them there. And the beautiful thing was when we did that, that's when we started Bridges Youth Development. And the first year, over 500 high school kids ended up committing their lives to Christ um, wow. through that ministry. Yeah, it was God's way of just saying, you did the right thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> you made the right yeah. move. Um, and so anyway, that those are some of the ministries that kind of grew out of our work and, and what was taking place there. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about for those that may not know about the orphans and vulnerable children, check a little bit more, maybe specifically about where you are located in South Africa and, and the, the things that are, have had happened there and kind of maybe what's going on with that demographic. Yeah. You know, the numbers are really hard to nail down correctly, but I, I think the projected numbers, it's, it's definitely far over a million 
orphans in South Africa and the dangers to these kids. Uh, we actually are just in the process right now of entering two new communities because of Bridges just bought a piece of property, just closed on Monday, a uh, farm just outside of the township areas. So we're in the Cape Town area. And these kids are from these local farm communities. And, you know, one of the first things that our staff said when they started reaching out into these new areas is there's all these child-headed households. And that's been true for the last 20 years. You know, you go into a community and you've got these homes that are being led by other children because the parents have both died. And a lot of times what will happen, an auntie will take them in or a granny will take them in. But a lot of times what also happens is as soon, if that family owned a home, as soon as the parents die, relatives start fighting over who gets control of that household and they want to steal the home out from under the children without any care of what happens to the children. So now what a lot of parents have done is created a will that says, no, this home goes to our kids, but then the kids end up taking care of themselves. So that, that's one of the really, you know, ongoing challenging issues has been an issue here the whole time we've been working here. Um, but these are kids that are extremely vulnerable in the community because of the loss of their parents. Um, even the ones that have a granny or have an auntie, you know, they're vulnerable to sexual predators. An example, you know, during the whole COVID thing, South Africa cut out alcohol sales and cigarette sales as two of their things that, you know, were part of the lockdown. Um, so immediately people started looking for children to sell cigarettes and alcohol on the black market. And, and they go after these vulnerable children because they know they won't throw these children in jail. They'll slap them on the wrist. If they get caught, if an adult were to get caught, they'd get thrown in jail. So they immediately begin recruiting all these children. So our, our community health evangelists, because they're considered health workers or health um, assistants within the community, they were immediately deemed, uh, you know, workers that were able to, to be out on the front lines uh, during COVID. They began immediately training the children uh, how not to get involved in this, that once these guys get their hands on you, it's not going to end, you know, they'll woo them in and then they will start using these kids for other things as well. So it's an incredibly vulnerable population. The support groups give them a place, one, where they're getting trained, where they're being cared for by adults who want their best interests, have their best interests in mind, but also protecting them and, and meeting with their caregivers and helping their caregivers to understand the unique challenges that these kids face as a result of you know where, where they're at in their own lives. Um, so we've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of kids who've been taken into these groups and, and Bridges has become, and they'll say Bridges is a family test. Um, we just a year ago when Susan and I moved back here post COVID, which is a whole nother <laughs> topic. Um, we had lived here in years. It, it's all run by South Africans. It's all run by South Africans of color. Bridges of Hope South Africa is its own entity. And we would come and coach leaders and things, but they didn't really need us here. But when, you know, the, the global economic shutdown was so devastating to South Africa that when it reopened, they asked us if we would consider moving back and helping rebuild some of what had been lost. And so one of the first things uh, God kind of led us to do is to raise up interns. And we've got a group of 12 interns who we've been coaching 
for almost a year now. And um, many of them are kids who were either in the after school program or in the orphan mm-hmm. program who then became volunteer facilitators. And now they're working with Bridges as interns. And, but their stories are, yeah, no, I, I've been a part of the Bridges family for this many years, you know, for more than a decade. You know, it, it's awesome. And all of our staff grow up through the ministries, either because they were volunteering in the ministries or they were someone who was in the ministry um, as a participant. And so um, it really is a family. It's a big family that is reaching tens of thousands of people through all of their different programs and ministries and trainings every single year. So as you look back on the 20 plus years that you've been specifically in ministry in South Africa and and the work that you've done through Bridges of Hope, what are some of the highlights? What are some of the things that stick out to you? You maybe mentioned one already, the high school students uh, that came to Christ through that, that after school program, but what are some of the other highlights that come to mind? Uh, boy, there's so many. We, you know, the biggest thing I think for us has been allowing a space where God is able to work in transforming people's lives and that it's about God doing his thing and them doing their thing. And and our role throughout the whole thing has been providing this opportunity and providing equipping and training, but it's their ministry and it's their vision and it's their, you know, life on life care for others. That again, it, it leads to hundreds and hundreds of people committing their hearts to Christ every year people being discipled through these ministries. Uh, the community health evangelists go through like six months of training where they get every week a spiritual lesson, a physical lesson, and it transforms their lives. You know, And, and I think one of the highlights too is the number of people who've said, you know, I was a churchgoer until I started coming to chair. I started participating with Bridges, and now I know God. And you know, I remember when I was a student at Biola University, you know, many years ago, and a missionary came and they said, one of the biggest failures of the last generation of missions, you know, and generations of missions, hundred years of missions, and especially people would re- refer to Africa, is that we've made converts, but we haven't made disciples. That we've got a church over there that's two inches deep and miles and miles wide. And when we got here, and that's part of where even 21C and the work that, um, you know, you and Steve have been involved in is so exciting for us is, you know, most of the pastors who met it had no theological training. Well, then you go to the parishioners. Well, you know, their time in, in many, many of these churches wasn't with someone who had a theological foundation. And so for them, they just ate it up. You know, every week they're getting the word of God. Every week they're learning about prayer. They're learning about how the Holy Spirit moves in their lives. They, you know, are being taken through biblical training that's teaching them about what it is to have an identity in Christ and then to go through the steps to freedom to get the, there's so much spiritual activity over here that is just blatant and in your face. And I guess that's one of the other really exciting things is the number of people who we've been able to see find spiritual freedom and get set free from the, Sangomas, the witch doctors, the you know the things that otherwise are so compelling and controlling within their lives. Uh, so it's really been you know God's done amazing things and the lives of those who we've had the privilege of pouring into, who then have gone and poured into so many others. And I was thinking when you were talking about the the discipleship 
that's something that we've started hearing from even from Africans themselves, that we do a great job with evangelism, but we don't do such a great job with discipleship. And it's exciting to hear that there's so many touch points in your ministry where that discipleship is is coming back in into ministry, coming back into the way the church is functioning in the global South, because it definitely is a need for both, right? Jesus said, yep. make disciples. So obviously conversion is the first step of making a disciple, but it doesn't end with that, right? I mean, it's... Absolutely. Well, and that was even, you know, earlier part of my journey when I was a youth pastor, you know, we had a phenomenal focus on discipleship and, and it was it was there before I became a pastor in this church. We had about 350 high school kids in this high school ministry and, you know, all these small groups. But I was actually on a missions trip to Poland with 20 of those kids and some leaders and to the core leaders. I, we had seven commissions that led, you know, ministries within our high school ministry. Two of those seven leaders on the flight back said, so can we ask a question? And I said, of course. And they said, how come we don't do the real ministry? And I said, what do you mean? You're two of the core leaders in this group. And they said, no, no, no. You always talk about, you know, Jesus said, we're to go into all the world and make disciples. And they said, how come we sit in discipleship groups for four years in high school? How come we're not discipling others by our junior year or senior year? And I said, touche. Mm-hmm. You're right. And we ended up flipping this whole high school ministry upside down where the students became the leaders of the ministry and led the small groups and the adult leaders were there to support them. And this ministry, I mean, it was amazing what took off when they became the disciples because they're with their other friends that they're discipling. And our people then just became their coaches. But that's even what opened me up to going into a, a senior pastorate was these high school kids said, you know, you realize you've wrecked us. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, how do we leave this now that we're really doing ministry? We're making disciples. How do we just go sit in somebody's college group? You know, when we go to college, they said, we can't do that anymore. How come whole churches don't look like this? And that's when, for the first time ever, my wife and I cracked it open because we were planning on going to the mission field and said, hey, we'd be willing to give it a shot and see if a church could be built around this. And so when that's why we went to Santa Barbara to say, hey, let's see if a church could be built around the body of Christ in America, making disciples being the forefront of what ministry is. And we got to see that happen. And so anyway, I do think America needs it as much. I, I feel like it's discipleship has somehow become um, a program that you go through out of a book, not a life on life. You, you're going to become the leader you're going to become the one doing this. And so people get down and they're like, well, I learned some new stuff. This is good for my life, but not, I'm going to do this with others for the rest of my life. And that's, that's the hope of discipleship, you know, that we teach others who teach others who teach others and so on and so on. Yes. Yeah. Which is exactly what Paul told Timothy to do, right? What I've taught you in trust to reliable people. Absolutely. We've covered the highlights. What have been some of the challenges? What have been some of the real challenges that you guys have faced in 20 plus years of ministry in South Africa? Where we have had a lot of challenges, you know, as far as just the challenge it was for our own family, as well as the, you know, we, we had embezzling and uh, multiple times and, you know, finally had to completely outsource all of 
the finances of Bridges of Hope. We just kept struggling to find people who would manage it in an upright way. And so, yeah, we've had leaders who we entrusted big chunks of the ministry to who just completely tanked and, you know, a board member who, you know, tried to take down one of our leaders, you know, into an illicit relationship. I mean, we've had so many challenges through the years. And it's not a surprise in that, you know, Satan came to steal and kill and destroy. And if you look at the slums of South Africa, it's like a hotbed of those three things. You know, mm-hmm. destruction, the gangs, the theft, the murder, the rape. It's just, it's so intense. And so anytime we step out, we know there's going to be press back. Anytime we step out, we know we're we're going to face, you know, those challenges. And so, yeah, there there have been many, 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 you know, when we got held up at gunpoint, we got back to the church after we, we were on a home visit and visiting a guy who was dying of AIDS. And we get back to the church and they're all crying. Like the people, and there's all these people in the parking lot and they're crying. And they said, you know, we said, well, why are you crying? <laughs> they said, because you'll never be back. They said, people come to Philippi and the reason there's no nonprofits here is they all get held up, they all get robbed, and then they never return. <laughs> and we said, no, we're not leaving. You know, you know, on, on the side, we had just closed on a house over here, and and we were stuck. And, you know, but at the same time, we said, oh, but, you know, we're not we're not leaving. We're not going to run from this. And um, you know, it was very challenging to get back in. But we realized at that point, no, this you know, it's going to take a lot to shake us loose from what we really believe God has called us to do here. He's going to have to be the one that leads us out of it. Well, thank you for stepping in. Uh, even though it's hard and and, yeah. and anticipating, right? I, I mean, you you said it earlier, and it's so true that that where where God is working, Satan wants to come and disrupt that, and and he is the one who is completely opposed to the things of God. And so, and yeah. and I think you see that maybe in a different way when you're out of the American bubble, out of the comforts that we have, I think perhaps. Uh, so you're definitely seeing the challenges there. So what's what's ahead for for Bridges? What's in the what's kind of the next thing around the corner for you guys? You alluded to um, closing on a farm. Yeah. Um, what's what's happening with your ministry today? We've kind of talked about kind of the beginnings, but what's what's the status today? So Bridges had worked towards in-country financial sustainability through the property we had in Franschuk, the retreat center that we were running. We'd become financially sustainable. And then when COVID hit, you know, we went to Goosig. And so we ended up, our boards on both sides of the world just said, you know what, I think we need to sell the farm. And so we did. And we thankfully sold it to a big church in Cape Town that kept all of our staff, kept all of ministry running. The beautiful part of it was they kept it all running and and we don't have to do that anymore. It was, you know, it it kind of released us. It it was a challenging thing to be an hour. It's an hour from where we work in the townships and the, the slums that we're in. With that being said, for years and years, our staff just longed to have a home base that was near that area that we were working in. And we started the negotiations in February and we closed this last Monday on an even bigger farm than what we had in Franschuk that is right on the outskirts of this three and a half million person slum called the Cape Flats. And it's in a farming area that 
so far from what we've seen is is a very safe area especially comparatively and and it's going to be an amazing location so the owner we're supposed to close the end of june and for a lot of reasons things have dragged on but he allowed us to start remodeling even in may um so we've been remodeling the property and we've got painters in some of the buildings now we're at that stage of the remodel it'll become another retreat center a training center uh, it's our home office as well, and our staff are just beside themselves with joy. It's going to be so much easier for all of our ministries to get there. Um, the challenge with transportation when you know very few people own cars and the majority population in South Africa, they depend upon taxis and the times and everything to get a taxi, what, what it would look like, and buses. I mean, there's so many challenges mm-hmm. to get out to where we were before now you know, a large part of our population can walk to where we are. And so it's just going to be an amazing difference. Yeah, we've, that's a whole new chapter of bridges out here um, that we are just so excited about. And our team is so excited about. Uh, we're also working on developing entrepreneurial training. And that was one of the things they asked us to do over here. We found a company that's putting together a program of that. And they're trying to raise funds now to, to support it. But it will train people up to to go out and launch their own businesses. And that's something we're very excited to to help people do because, again, during the economic shutdown of the globe, so many people are out of work. And when we used to, you know, talk with the young people and say, you know, would you rather get a job or would you want to be an entrepreneur? Maybe three out of 20 would be interested in entrepreneurialism. Now it's like 17 out of 20. And so there's a real interest in being able to start a business and not have to rely upon someone else to provide a job for you. So anyway, that, that's another one. There's a whole lot more that you know, we'll be developing. Um, the farming aspect is going to be one of the things as well. We actually want to have an organic farm um, and utilize part of the property for that. So that, that's coming as well. That's exciting. That's exciting. So... Dennis, as we wrap up, uh, any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? Um, yeah, you know, I I would love for the, the church in the West and those who are listening. Um, I know a lot of times, you know, when missionaries share their stories or whatever, it's, it just seems so other. And what I would love to encourage everyone to recognize is that the calling of God is is the bottom line. It's like God has called us all to something. And whether you're called to be a housewife, you're called to be a college student, you're called to be uh, you know, a business person, that is a calling that you can approach in just the same way where you're saying, God, what do you want this to look like? And, and I've got great friends who uh, you know, stepped into business and, and you know, used it as, hey, this is, this is my calling. I'm going to pray over all the people in this office every day and, until you know, God tells me not to. And, and you know, that's now one of my good buddies who's, you know, the leader of a company. And it's a company that, you know, is having a huge impact. And it's not only employees' lives, but people around the world. And I just want to encourage you, you know, the calling into ministry is for every single believer. And look for that in your life and and pray about what that means and invite God into, you know, using your gifts, your talents, your passion, your ability to be a light for him and a disciple maker wherever that leads you. The other thing I just encourage you, pray for the people of Tigray, the, the northern region in Ethiopia. Uh, they've been 
in a horrendous situation the last few years. Uh, we've been working there since 2010, running a master's program in partnership with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Uh, there was a horrendous, horrendous genocide that's been taking place there, and there's still a long ways to go to get out of it. They need aid. They need help rebuilding. Um, they need trauma healing. And, um, and if you would pray for us, pray that God would allow us to get back up there. As we stood in the gap for those people, we, we created some barriers that now we really need to, to get over so we are able to get back and, and be a part of on the ground in that area. But um, keep that area, if you think of it, in your prayers as um, it's one of the, the massive needs in the world today. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis, for, for that reminder. And thank you for the encouragement to be on mission for God, right? Whatever that looks like in your life. Thank you for listening to this episode of On The Move by 21C International. 21C International is a Christian nonprofit organization on a mission to encourage, equip, and empower Christian pastors in the global South by providing free, informal biblical and pastoral training. You can visit 21C International to learn more and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform to hear more about missions, international ministry, and how God is changing lives around the world.